Welcome to Hyperbaric Living with Dr. Masha podcast. I'm Dr. Masha, naturopathic doctor, hyperbaric expert, and podcast host, bringing you the cutting edge interviews and ideas about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'm grateful to interview these bright minds and sharing their knowledge and experience in the field of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Thank you for listening. So let's get started with this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Hyperbaric Living Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Masha. And today I have with me a special guest, an amazing doctor, but also a very beautiful woman. Um, For those who can see the video part, her name is Andrew. Dr. Andrew Usman. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Usman. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talking to you all. Me too. So Dr. Usman specializes in the treatment of children with ADD autism, and her specialty is biomedical therapies. And that's where I wanted to start the interview. Could you please tell our listeners what is biomedical therapy? What does it involve? Well, biomedical therapy is kind of a complementary or an integrative approach to kind of normal or traditional medical care. But in biomedical, we're trying to look for the underlying causes of the problems. So in a sense, we really don't care what the diagnosis is. So if you use the word autism or ADD, it doesn't really matter. We're actually looking for What's happening? How's the body functioning? What's underlying the symptoms that we're seeing, like the lack of attention or what's underlying the anxiety? Um, And so we kind of dive really deep to kind of look at what's causing the problem. And does it affect the treatment or it's it affecting how we approach um, the diagnosis, the biomedical therapy? Yeah. So, again, in a sense, the diagnosis doesn't matter. So we're looking at the symptoms. So for instance, if you have like gut issues and you have bad digestion and somebody diagnoses you with reflux and then they give you an antacid to help your symptoms, but that's not really treating what's causing the reflux. Mm -hmm. So in biomed, we would do things like organic acid tests and stool tests and look at kind of like the function of what's happening in the body and saying, oh, well, you know, you're really having reflux because you have some type of a food allergy or a food sensitivity. And that's it causing histamine production in your gut and therefore H2 blockers are helping. Or you're really having reflux because you're having severe dysmotility, you're having constipation, things are backing up. So we, get, we need to work on the motility and get your bowels moving and that will solve the reflux. So again, the, the diagnosis does help us to kind of focus our energy, but we're really looking for what's causing the problems and the symptoms that people face. I actually, I witnessed um, you uh, practicing because several years, I don't know if you remember that, but several years ago, I was um, shadowing Dr. Rossignol at his clinic and you were seeing a patient at the same clinic. Uh, that same day, I think maybe you were traveling or something. Oh, for the conference, maybe. And I got to sit at the appointment and I was absolutely fascinated. Just the actual approach and um, and how you, you asked that ma- so many questions. I think it was their second appointment. It wasn't the first visit. It was their second appointment and following up on the little things and actually structuring the treatment, what therapy comes first and what goes next. 
And in your opinion, when a patient comes and um, they bring a child who's been diagnosed with autism, where do you usually start? You know, um, I usually start with the history because a patient is sitting in my office, but there's a lot of things that brought that patient to the office. And so, you know, what happened? You know, what's the past history? Um, even like it's important for the, like, to know about the pregnancy uh, for, you know, the child uh, to know about the delivery, infancy, um, allergies, uh, formula versus breastfed. Um, is there any kind of exposure to toxins? Were there a lot of antibiotics? And one of the big key features of me trying to figure out a patient is were people doing okay and now there's this regression? So I often get the history that in, in, in terms of autism, I often get the history that they're, they're developing okay, they're developing okay, they're developing okay, and then something happens. And we know that probably something, there's other things that led up to that. We call that, you know, kind of the environmental epigenetics. There's like a genetic predisposition, something happened in the environment, and now there's this regression and we're, we have this diagnosis. And for me, I like to think about what really were the preceding events and then what really was that kind of the straw that tipped the stage and created this uh, regression. And I think focusing on what some of those things are really helps me focus on the treatment. The root cause of what happened to that child yeah. Yeah. and also what was the trigger. Yeah, exactly. Because oftentimes in the history, well, I like to think about the gut a lot. I like to focus on the gut because um, when we think of autism, we think about a, a neuroimmune inflammatory issue. And I know your podcast is about hyperbarics, but in hy hyperbarics, what you're working on is neuroinflammation, um, which also helps the immune system. And we talk in biomed about 70% of the immune system being in the gut. And a lot of the things that are produced in the gut create inflammation. And some of those factors actually get into the brain. They're called gasotransmitters, not just neurotransmitters, but these gases from the gut affect the brain. And so focusing on the gut um, in terms of the history. So like, were they formula fed? Did they have a C-section instead of a vaginal delivery? Were there a lot of antibiotics given? And so that sets the stage. And then some of these regressions are, oh, my child had a virus and now their eye contact is gone and they're not talking. Um, and so I'll, I'll hear that history. I'm like, well, you know, the poor microbiome in the gut set the stage and now their immune system's not working well. And then they get hit by a toxin or they get hit by a virus and their body just can't recover. So the treatment then will start with treating the gut. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a big one. I kind of think about also, okay, what set the stage? A lot of the other things that set the stage is toxicity. So us moms, like I was born in India. I have a lot of exposure to lead in childhood. Then I have a baby and my first, you know, my bones are kind of, leaching to kind of support that baby with my calcium and magnesium from the bones. And I have lead sitting in my bones and that's going to my first baby. And so, you know, we, we take these other things into account. So when, when you said, is the gut the first thing I do? 
I first say to parents, number one, clean up your environment. We think that toxicity plays a huge role with inflammation. So cleaning agents, soap, shampoos, detergents, perfumes, um, BPA, phthalates, Teflon, fluoride, um, um, things like that, you know, pesticides, insecticides. Um, so number one, clean up the environment. And that's always a process. You know, we don't want to be exposed to mold. We don't want to be exposed to heavy metals. We don't want to be exposed to chemicals while we're trying to help our children heal. And then number two is cleaning up the diet. And so the diet is another big, huge piece of what's happening in the gut and what's happening in the body. So in our autism world, our anti-inflammatory diet is a dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free diet. And 70% of people respond well to that, that diet. And then I go to cleaning up the gut. <laughs> Thank you for explaining this because it's, I think it's important to understand. And I, I understand not only parents, I mean, anybody who receives a diagnosis, what they want to do, they want to take all the ammunition they have and they want to start fighting whatever they have with, with everything that they have, but it's not necessarily the best strategy because you have to prepare the body to be able to respond to other therapies and hyperbarics, how I think it uh, can help to prepare the body, but it could also be the therapy that should be introduced a little later when you, when all the basics are sort of being covered. I completely agree with that statement because I think that I think as a society, and I'm going to call us a global society, because I know that your, your um, listeners are from all over the world, and my patients are from all over the world too. But as, as a global society, we're looking for that pill, right? We're looking for that instant gratification. We, we oh, I want the pill for that. I want, I want this for that. And some things are really sexy, you know, like some parents will go and they'll do stem cells but they haven't cleaned up the diet. They haven't cleaned up the environment. They haven't cleaned up the gut. And they may not get the benefit of, you know, you want a healthy terrain before you work on some of these things. And so I, I agree with the hyperbarics. I mean, I think it's an extremely valuable tool. I've been involved in a study with Dr. Rosignol that we use hyperbarics in children on the spectrum and had very good results. And I've been using hyperbarics since 2007. So, you know, it's been a long time and it's a very important tool, but in my toolbox, you have to put a foundation in. And the foundation for me is cleaning up the environment, cleaning up the diet, cleaning up the gut, and then starting on some basic kind of nutritional support. I call them foundational uh, nutrients. And when you say when you say starting on nutritional support, that means doing the testing and seeing what deficiencies uh, could be present with this particular patient and addressing those nutritional deficiencies, right? Yeah, but it's not always about a deficiency. Um, sometimes we'll have areas that we know are of huge concern um, in a population. Um, I was involved in some research on copper and zinc in patients with ADD and autism. And almost 90% of those patients or greater had low zinc and high copper. So even if I can't test, I know that population has a need. The other 
supplement that you can't really test a grape for is omega-3s, like fish oil. Like fish oil has a great anti-inflammatory effect. Um, omega-3 is called essential fatty acid because essential means our body can't make it. It's essential. So if we're not getting a lot of good quality fish and flax in our diet, we're going to be low in threes. And so I don't have to necessarily do a test to try omega-3s. And I think some of these foundational nutrients for me are things like vitamin D3, omega-3, um, and zinc. I see. And then comes the hyperbarics. Yes. Um, and in, in my population too, uh, I, I might go to hyperbarics, but because I can do some testing, um, I'll look for other kind of toxins or chronic infections that I kind of have this view that, okay, I'm going to throw in energy, time, and money into hyperbarics. I want to make sure that there's nothing blocking the healing process. And the things that I feel that could block the healing process is an allergen, toxin, or infection. So when I do my workup, I'm going to look for toxins, heavy metals, chemicals, mycotoxins. I'm going to look for things like allergies. And I'm going to look for um, a chronic, potentially chronic infection. That's sometimes hard and it's a little controversial to look at like titers for strep or titers for viruses and like treat based on that. But it gives me clues as to what's going on in the immune system. So I'll kind of dampen that down and then I'll do things like hyperbarics. Decisions surrounding hyperbaric oxygen therapy can be complex. If you'd like to learn more about hyperbarics, indications, benefits, and limitations, please go to drmasha.com slash hbot to book your free hyperbaric consultation. The link is in the podcast description. It's drmasha.com forward slash hbot. And when you start hyperbarics, do you have um, a specific protocol that you usually use with your patients or it's more of an individual approach? Well, the protocol that we used in the study, I tend to use that particular protocol. So, you know, there's a difference between um, low pressure hyperbarics and high pressure hyperbarics, soft chamber, hard chamber. And again, it depends on what you have access to. And, um, and I, in our study, it was the soft chamber. So it was 1.3 atmospheres. And, um, you know, it, it was, um, we use an oxygen concentrator. So it wasn't 100% oxygen. So it's for hyperbaric therapy as opposed to hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But still we saw a benefit. And in that particular protocol, the goal was to get like at least four to five days in, in a week in the hyperbaric chamber and at least one hour at pressure. So it took us 15 minutes to get to pressure, one hour at pressure, 15 minutes to get down. So I usually tell people in the soft chamber, I like to, for them to be in the soft chamber for about an hour and a half to two hours. And I, I feel like you get the similar effect to being in a hard chamber for one hour. So if we can stay in the soft chamber a little longer, so one and a half to two hours, and my goal, again, here for soft chamber is about, in the study, we did 40 hours. But in my patient population, I like to do get a good 60 hours in within a month. So it's kind of intense. Because if we kind of do it haphazardly or haphazardly, we may not get the full benefit of it. 
So that means uh, it's a lot easier for these patients to either rent a chamber, well, to have a chamber at home, to rent it or to get one, because otherwise they, they will be spending uh, a lot of time in the clinic. Yeah. So most of my patients, they do get, they, they do a rental and then they take the hyperbarics home. Um, I knew that when we did the study, it was extremely stressful for the families to come into the office. Um, in that particular study, we did it twice a day. We did an hour in the morning gave them a little bit of break and then again an hour in the afternoon. And to do that for a whole, you know, um, 40 hours is, is, it's pretty intense. And um, some of the parents who are going in the chamber with the parent, uh, the, the child, they started developing high blood pressure. And, um, you know, we were monitoring all their vital signs. And I, I said, you know, this is extremely stressful. This, this isn't going to work as well if you're all stressed out and you're going in this. And so we started doing the rentals and I think we have, better results with that kind of that kind of and then they can get into it on their own schedule and their own time frame um, and again with a hard chamber you have to go to a clinic um, and so some of these families are traveling they're they're staying in a place that's not you know that they don't know and they, it's stressful for the child and then so yeah I I, I like the soft chambers and I feel like I uh, get good results with that I like the soft chambers too. Uh, it's just for me personally, a lot easier to get into a soft chamber. Um, just a personal thing, I guess. Uh, I was wondering, I was listening um, very carefully and you've mentioned that it took 15 minutes to go up to 1.3 and then 15 minutes to depressurize. Why did you, why did you do it so slowly? Because my patients are non-speaking. They can't always tell me if they have ear pain or are they, they just not feeling well. They may not be good at kind of um, normalizing the pressure in the sinuses. And it is kind of like takeoff and landing in an airplane. It's really not that much different. So if you've fl flown in an airplane, um, it's kind of like being in a hyperbaric chamber. So, you know, people kind of get a little like frazzled or excited. It's like, oh my gosh. But, you know, 15 minutes is a long time. So, you know, that's just kind of a rule of thumb. But some people are perfectly fine going straight up and some people are perfectly fine coming straight down. But I, I think the goal is that hour and a half to two hours, you know, just a little extra than they would um, in, in a hard chamber, 1.5 or more. You know, they're in there for about an hour total. And what results did you see in that study? Well, um, when we did the study, again, it was been a long time but we looked at some of the, the main kind of, you know, the clinical global impression, um, the aberrant checklist. You know, these are kind of qualitative and not so quantitative skills of behavior, socialization, speech. Um, and in general, it helped with things like behavior and autism, socialization. Um, and language development. So like the core, the core of what we see in our patients, we see didn't, we did see improvement, motor skills improved as well. So it was just kind of an overall improvement. Their ATEC scores, that, that score of severity of autism came down to a statistically significant level. So it improved their their um, their symptoms of autism. And in your clinical experience, um, just stepping a little bit away from the study, because I understand that the study, they had to do 60 treatments in, in one month. Sorry, the study was 40 hours. 
Oh, it was 40 hours. Now I try to do 60 because, you know, in that particular study, the study design was 40 and we did see benefit. But in my patients, I like to, initially I like to do about 60. That was my question. Why, uh, why 60? Versus 40. Versus 40 or versus 80 as well. Why? Because it comes from your clinical experience. I wanted to know. Yeah. So I think, you know, Dr. Harch and some of the others, it, it kind of like, oh, they just decided we're going to do one hour at 1.5 for 40 hours. And it was kind of an arbitrary initiation and it, it, it kind of got stuck. And like you mentioned in my clinical experience, if I can't get somebody in 1.5, let me leave them in a 1.3 for a little longer to get that oxygen, you know, saturating into those cells. That's the whole point of it under pressure. And so I do feel that um, those kind of intensive therapies for that 60 hours in that month have initially, they give you a, a good improvement. And then when people repeat that, we don't see that same improvement. We, we see a little bit more improvement, but it's that initial one that gives you the, I, I see the biggest benefit with. So I really want to make sure that initial treatment is done well um, and effectively. So I think that's why I go with the 60. And it sounds like a great strategy. First prepare the body and then throw hyperbarics and see that huge improvement. Do you, do you find that there are therapies that potentiate the effect of hyperbarics, maybe giving supplements and timing them with hyperbaric sessions or even staying hydrated, drinking a lot of water. Do you have any specific advice that you give to your patients? Yeah, that's, that's a hugely important question because again, you know, if you think about the fear, the fear factor or the side effects, right? So the side effects, what, what could go wrong? So again, soft chamber, um, you know, it's not hundred percent oxygen. So we don't, we can go in there with other things. Uh, kids can go in there with their iPad. We don't have to worry about that spark. So we don't have to worry about that, but the ears. So again, to prepare them, we need to make sure that the ears, there's no infection in the ears. And sometimes just as a preventative thing, I like these, um, um, white willow bark. It's boswellia kind of myrrh anti-inflammatory and garlic oil. And I like to put those in the ears before they go in the kids who are not speaking. Because, you know, if the eardrum is stiff and hard and dehydrated, then when it starts to expand with the pressure, it could tear. And, and then if there's fluid in the sinuses, if there's fluid in the eustachian tubes, then it's gonna get trapped in the, in the ears too. And so there's a lot of discomfort that occurs with that. And when I check the ears, sometimes I have seen bleeding all along the, the tympanic membranes. So with some of my really kind of low functioning kids who can't really talk to, to us and tell us what's going on efficiently, um, as a preventative thing, I have the parents put the, the eardrops um, in the ears before they dive. Um, another big potential side effect is we're throwing oxygen in this body. So what organisms love oxygen? Yeast loves oxygen sometimes and strep loves oxygen. So again, to get, prepare my patients, I usually do a rapid strep swab before they, they dive. I just want to make sure there's no strep in their throat so that they, they don't have like a hidden strep infection. And many of my patients, like I mentioned, have toxicity 
when you have toxicity, the toxins go from your liver, your bile, and they end up in your gut. And the yeast is hiding in that gut under biofilm. And when we throw in oxygen, the yeast like the oxygen and then they grow. And then we get stimming and hyperactivity and somebody's not sleeping and they're foggy and they're like, oh, the H-pot isn't working. The H-pot is working. It's just now we have a yeast overgrowth on top of it. So I, all my patients who I have died, I have them on some type of antifungal herb. And I use herbs. You use herbs. Yeah, um, I don't like to use drugs if I don't have to. Um, because when you use a drug, then something else grows. So if I treat yeast, then the bacteria grows. If I treat bacteria, then the yeast grow. If I use an antibiotic, then clostridia grows. Herbs have a very complex structure and they have a wide variety of effects. And I think of herbs like eating food, you know, eating oregano, eating thyme, eating parsley. These all have eating garlic. These have a high antimic antimicrobial effects. We eat those things in our diet. Our patients, my patients won't eat that stuff. So we don't get that natural antimicrobial effect. We are, they may not eat fermented foods, so they're not getting the good bacteria in the gut. So during hyperbarics, I do put them on some various herbs, like, like I mentioned, things like garlic and oregano and thyme and grapefruit seed extract. Um, these are lemongrass. These are some of my favorite things. And, um, so I have like various protocols. I have supplements. Um, you know, I have a, I have, a, in addition to my practice, I have a compounding pharmacy. Um, I have a supplement company. And so, you know, over time, I've learned that these are some really important tools to, to get the best benefit. So protecting the ears, protecting the gut during hyperbarics um, has been helpful. Thank you for sharing because this is uh, the information that's lacking, you know, and especially among parents in the community, somebody says, oh, try hyperbarics. That's how it goes. Try hyperbarics. So they, they try hyperbarics, maybe they go somewhere and then, and then they get all the side effects and they either think it doesn't work or they don't get the full benefit. And they're already stressed because caring for a special needs child is, a, it's stressful. Uh, and we need, we, we need to explain and you just explained it beautifully. You just one, two, three, you took this, 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 and that you basically, you contact a practitioner who can, uh, who can prescribe all of these. I want to go back. You mentioned that you have, um, a compounding pharmacy and the supplement company. So I saw them, uh, and I saw the formulations and I'm a big fan of supplements. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Your supplements are not necessarily for kids on autistic spectrum or ADD, right? Um, they could be used for a variety of conditions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so true healing naturals over the years, I found certain combinations of things that I really liked and ideas and concepts that maybe other people hadn't. Um, thought of. I hadn't seen them out there. So I created some formulas and, um, and they can be used. Like I said, we're not treating a diagnosis. So we're not treating autism. We're not treating ADD. You know, we're treating toxicity. We're treating um, dysbiosis. We're treating neuroinflammation. And so the same things that I use for my kids for that, we could use for anybody for, for these same kinds of concepts. So I like a mineral supplement that anytime I do detox, I use my mineral supplement. It helps to balance copper and zinc. Um, and it also helps to 
it has a lot of cofactors to help with detoxification. Um, with my patients who are diving, um, one of the other potential side effects is oxidative stress. Now we put oxygen that's oxidative. Now my patients on the spectrum already have too much oxidative stress. Anybody with chronic inflammation has oxidative stress. Any type of itis, arthritis, bronchitis, dermatitis, that's, that's oxidation and inflammation. So when we're throwing in more oxygen, some people can may not tolerate that if they're in this really terribly oxidative place. But one of the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen is oxidation. Because when you oxidize, you kill things. That's how our body kills viruses and bacteria and yeast. So I want them to get a little bit of that oxidative stress, but I don't want them to stay in that place. So usually when they're diving, while they're diving, I don't like to give them the antioxidant, but when they come out, I will give them antioxidants just to bring it down so they don't stay in that oxidative environment. And so I have a supplement called Mito Rescue, which has um, things to help the mitochondria because again, we think that you know that's very susceptible to oxidative stress. And then we end up with um, fatigue, um, low endurance, low muscle tone. And so things like CoQ10, um, carnitine, creatine, vitamin E, alpha lipoic acid um, are all in that. And so little bits of that, some B vitamins, and um, it, it can be just kind of helpful for recovery, muscle recovery, oxidative recovery. So those are the, those are the main tools that I kind of use as a kind of in my head as prevention. So I can get the most optimal optimal outcome. And, I, and again, this is from my experience, right? Like there's no studies on these, these things that I'm mentioning to you. But clinical experience, in my opinion, is even more valuable. Uh, studies are great. They're amazing. We never have enough studies. But we need more, especially with hyperbarics. Clinical experience. And if you think about it, Chinese medicine is 3,000 years old. Um, there were no clinical studies, but there were enormous clinical experience. And uh, up until now, they treat very difficult conditions. I wanted to ask you do you have a favorite antioxidant uh, that you give to your patients who are undergoing hyperbaric therapy? I do have a favorite antioxidant. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people would probably talk about something like ubiquinol or CoQ10, which is really great for the mitochondria. I, I like that one a lot, but I also like alpha lipoic acid. And um, the reason I like that is it has so many varying effects. And um, it also has a great effect on the liver and it helps with detoxification and it can cross into the blood brain barrier pretty, pretty easily. So those, probably those two are my favorite, but. I love, I love alpha lipoic acid. It's just, uh, especially if you, if somebody's just apart from even hyperbarics, when not feeling well and you feel the body is under a lot of stress, it can do miracles. Even, 100 milligrams uh, would just be amazing. 
200 if you can. I, I love it. Uh, Dr. Usman, thank you for sharing um, all this information. And I want to ask you a question. Um, if you could give an advice to a parent whose child has been recently diagnosed with autism or ADD, or maybe they've been living with a diagnosis for quite some time and they're looking for answers and they're searching for help. Um, they're in, on this journey um, to get their child better. What your advice would be? I get that question a lot. And, um, you know, I've been on this journey with a lot of, a lot of you all, you know, if there's parents listening to this podcast that I know, um, I've been on this journey since 1991. And it's a long journey. And I, I'm here at a conference, a MAPS conference, a Medical Academy for Pediatric Special Needs, and I'm still learning. And I learn something every day. I think the main thing that you know, we, we all get burnt out. It's extremely stressful. But I think that what I've learned is sometimes the number one thing I need to do is listen to myself, listen to my own inner voice, listen to my own intuition. Um, and if something feels right, try to do your research, look into it. If something doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel right for you to do, don't do it. Um, I tell my parents, uh, my patient's parents, I call them my parents. Um, I tell my parents that they're the world's leading expert on their child. Nobody knows their child better than they do. And so we're here to help you. We're here to facilitate, um, but we don't have all the answers either. So listen to your intuition. And um, your child knows more than you realize. Um, don't treat your child as if they don't, aren't intelligent. Um, autism really does not affect intelligence at all. Um, they may not be able to motor plan or have the skills to coordinate the language or even to point to tell you they know where that dog is, but they know, they know. And so to presume that competence is another big one. So listen to your intuition and presume competence in your child. Thank you, because I believe we, we, we need to support the parents as much as we need to support children, because we're all in this boat. It's not just the child or the diagnosis or the parent or the doctor, it's, it's a team. Um, I wanted to thank you. Um, 1991, that's, that's 30 years, right? Right. I did my math right. Yeah, my daughter, who I started this journey with, she would be 31 this year. So, yeah, trying to figure, <laughs> trying to figure out our kids as <laughs> uh, a lifelong endeavor. And then, you know, in the process, we figure out ourselves and we help ourselves. We help our family. We help our extended family. And then we help our community. And then we help each other. Thank you for dedicating your life. Um to doing that, to helping uh, families in need, to helping parents, and of course, helping children. And I think each child that gets better, it's a victory. Mm -hmm. It is.
Thank you, Dr. Usman. It's been a pleasure having you. And I hope to see you in person soon. Me too. And I would love to come to Spain to do that. <laughs> I know we, we, we planned and the whole pandemic started, um, but I do believe that, you know, things will change. They will get better and we'll be able, you know, to travel freely and we'll, we'll, we'll get this trip done. Absolutely. Travel around Spain is beautiful. I know, I know. Spain's waiting. That's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode like I did. If you know someone who might benefit from this information, please send them a link to this episode. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive new episodes every week. Until the next week, stay safe and healthy.